Hi, welcome to a brand new episode of Record Talk Listen. My name is Lydia, and thank you so much for joining me. On today's show, we feature Brian Grimm. Brian is the current mayor of Cumberland, Maryland, and we are very lucky that he took time out of his very busy schedule to sit down and talk with us um, about some important issues that affect our small city, but also keep in mind that these issues pretty much affect every city that is just like Cumberland all over the United States. So if you're not from Cumberland and you're listening to this podcast, maybe some of the ideas and struggles that Brian expresses in this episode might be helpful for you and your municipality, wherever you're living. Um, So we touch basically on public safety issues, infrastructure improvements, green energy solutions, and some economic development and job creation questions. Um, I was able to put together a really great um, group of questions to ask the mayor because I asked you, the listeners, to help me um, ask questions that you wanted the answers to, and you so wonderfully responded. So if you uh, missed that opportunity, we did it on our social media accounts, so we did it through Facebook and Twitter. So we're at Facebook at Record Talk Listen and on Twitter at RTL Pod. So if you don't um, follow us on those two platforms. We highly suggest that you do. So if another opportunity like this happens, that you don't miss out on being able to ask your question. If you've never listened to the show before, welcome. And we highly suggest that you check out our website and that's recordtalklisten.com. You will find hundreds of other episodes uh, available for you to listen to for free there, or you can subscribe to the podcast through pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts, iTunes, Podcast Republic, Google Play, Spotify. We're there. You just have to search Record Talk Listen and hit subscribe. And while you're there, if you notice on the right-hand side, you can donate to the podcast. You can actually become a sponsor of the podcast if you have a business and you want to get some a little bit of airtime and a little bit of publicity, get in touch with us. You can send us an email at recordtalklisten at gmail.com and we can make that dream come true for you. Okay, so here is your public service announcement from your local podcast host. November the 6th is election day and I feel like everybody knows the importance of voting, but some people choose not to and that's okay. But maybe this quote from FDR will change your mind and make you go to the polls, whether that's early, because um, you can do that now, or on November the 6th, if you are a procrastinator or you just can't make up your mind and you need the full amount of time. So without further ado, here's the quote. Nobody will ever deprive the American people of the right to vote except the American people themselves. And the only way they can do this is by not voting. So please don't deprive yourself of the beauty of voting and having your voice being heard and counted. So show up on November the 6th. End of PSA. Now let's get into this great conversation with Brian Grimm, the current mayor of the city of Cumberland. Brian Grimm, welcome to the podcast. I'm happy to be here this evening. I, you know, this is a big deal because um, you're running for mayor again. That's correct. I'm, I'm running for a third term at this point. At, at, as of the conclusion of my second term, I've served eight years as mayor, two years before that on the city council, 10 years in elected service. They've, they've kind of flown by, uh, but at this point, it's, it's kind of defined who I am, and I think in terms oftentimes of what the city needs. Good. I mean, that's a lot. You put a lot of time and effort into the city. It is, but when I compare myself to some of the mentors that I had before me, Councilman Elliott before, Councilman Butch Hendershot before, you know, the, those gentlemen put in 18, 20-some years in elected service. Uh, I, I know that I'm not going to reach those milestones, but well, you never the, know. the toll of the, that, it, that it takes on you, you know, I, I look at folks like that, and I understand that the con- contributions they've given to the community are, are significant indeed. And they're things that we, we can't simply put into words. Yeah. So I think um, you took over. I think we need to talk about a little bit um, how what you inherited when you were elected, because sure. I think people have amnesia when you look at eight years, and and that's not uh, malicious amnesia. It's because you know life happens and you forget things, and so. But I think we really need to shine a light on the things that um, you've done in the past eight years. 
So when you inherited the city, we were in the red. Is that correct? We were in the red, and of course, we we were in the midst of an, a national economic crisis that that just hit the city at the time that I was elected. Yeah. So the city was running deficits. Uh, it was in the red consistently for several years, and and in fact, uh, I remember right after I took office, uh, the the word bankruptcy was being whispered around City Hall as oh, a really? very real thing. Wow. Uh, we, we were as close as several weeks from scratching our heads and figuring out how we were going to make make payroll at, at City Hall. And, and the the reality is that what had come to be the norm then was short-term borrowing on a constant basis called tax anticipation notes. The city was borrowing. It started out about a half a million dollars, then a million dollars, then it, it kept growing every quarter. They were doing these short-term loans, yeah. and they were anticipating the tax revenues coming in throughout the year. Um, that's scary because that, that means you're living on borrowing and you're paying a lot of money out in the form of interest payments. Yeah, and it's like a really risky situation. It's risky. It, it, it's a reality for government to function that way mm-hmm. at times when times are tough. But that was becoming the norm. It was becoming it's something we just expected to happen on a constant basis. That's crazy. It, it is. And, and, and I remember uh, Councilman um, Kaufman and Councilman Scarpelli joined me on the city council at that time. Mm-hmm. And, and we really came in with a strong front that we're, we're going to fix this. Uh, we're going to fix it now, and these are the changes we're going to implement. And and, and I'm proud to say at this point that um, fast forward eight years, mm-hmm. we have now grown the, the general fund uh, balanced in excess of $3 million. That's so great. that's a significant change with the city of Cumberland having run deficits before. So how many years have you been in the black? Has the city been in the black? Uh, seven of the of the eight years that I've been in office. So we have, a pretty we have quick been the turnaround then. We have. We, we ended the, the reliance on ta- uh, of, of tax anticipation notes. Uh, we curbed the spending. And and I'm proud to say that we got the budget under control, but we did it largely on the backs of city employees who, who really bared the brunt of this. Uh, we, we reduced the size of city hall and citywide staff in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, cut, we brought spending under control, but it was, it was the employees of the city of Cumberland who really felt this and, and really put their hands to work to, to make this a reality. And and I give them a lot of credit for it because they understood the gravity of the situation and, and they worked right along with the elected officials to get it under control. Well, that's amazing. I mean, that really does show the sense of community because they could have just easily looked at it as like, well, I can get another job someplace else. But they really did understand the significance of sticking it out and for the greater good kind of a situation. They did. And, and, and I, I really credit an entire generation of folks that, that, that were largely in, in those positions when I first became mayor. It was, it's essentially my parents' generation uh, that, that was in all of those positions and it accrued a significant amount of wisdom. And, yeah. and they understood turning to some of these new elected officials that said, hey, hey we want to make the changes that are difficult. We, we, we're, we're willing to make the difficult decisions no matter the consequences, including political consequences for us. We care about the community just like you do, and they really stepped up to the plate and, and gave us a lot of the wisdom that we needed to hear. That's that's great, and and it's a it was a it was a collective thing. It wasn't just like, hey, we're gonna just cut all these jobs and see you guys later. It was like, no, we really need to discuss this moving forward. So there, I'm, there was a great level of transparency. So that was there great. absolutely is, and, and whether it's the budget that we're specifically talking about, or or it's things that were that were significant drains on the budget. I mean, it was easy to to look out the window in, in any South End location and and look at Memorial Hospital and say. That big empty building is sitting there. What's the city going to do with it? Mm-hmm. And what we knew internally was that that was draining about a million dollars per year out of the city budget just to keep it mothballed and sitting there. Uh, just to maintain it. That's expensive, just to keep an empty yeah. building sitting there. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's good. So you were able to identify things that you could just eliminate and uh, and then improve it. So that's amazing. One year you got it and we were in the black. So from really After desperate year, times. Correct. That's, that's really amazing. It is. And, and it's not been easy along the way. We've had to make difficult decisions essentially every year. Mm-hmm. And keeping the city's budget balanced has been a challenge. But that dates back uh, many decades. We're a city that used to be more than double, close to triple the size that, that, that we are today. And whenever the industries of, of America left Cumberland, whenever they went overseas, they took with them all the working class people. Mm-hmm. They took with them the taxpayers. They, they took with them an entire population of people that left Cumberland. But what they left behind were the water lines and the sewer lines and the streets and the houses and all of that infrastructure. Right. So here we are today with significantly less population, significantly less tax base, and we're still trying to keep up with infrastructure to support double or triple our population. Yeah. So, I mean, like, ultimately, it would be great if we could get that population back, right? But 
long term do you think that's feasible or do you think we need to just like scale back i think that realistically we can expect to grow over time sure but i don't expect that we're going to need that level of infrastructure forever so we're still gonna be faced with these difficult decisions Mm -hmm. how do we consider um whether it's eliminating some city streets decommissioning those streets or, or trying to shrink our own expectations of, of what we expect from city government. Right. And, and those are difficult conversations for us to have. Yeah. But I think it's something you have to have in order to have a realistic expectation for how to move forward. The, the key to that is realistic. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> we are realists. So we should not... Um... I mean, it's fun to, to dream about things like if you won the lottery, right? But that's not going to happen technically it's funny because I've, I've actually had citizens suggest to me that the city of cumberland should play the lottery just in case we win we could fix all of our woes and <laughs> wouldn't that be great <laughs> that would be great but that is truly pie in the sky and it's it's the worst kind of financial planning yeah i think so if you put all don't put all your eggs in the lottery basket right so right to speak. um so i feel like um is there any i mean you've you've paved streets you've resurfaced streets in the past eight years um I mean, I think being fiscally responsible is the best foundation for a city because then that helps you be able to plan for the whole year and maybe um, improve things or maybe find grant funding that's going to be helpful for certain projects. Sure. Um, so I think that that's amazing. Is there anything else that you want to touch on? That Well, I mean, people criticize us oftentimes for, for not planning out into the future of the budget. In, in reality, we, we're planning out five to ten years at, at all times. We're always mm-hmm. looking ahead. But there are unknowns that, that can change at any moment. Uh, if the state legislature decides to take away the, the state's uh, allocation of highway user revenues, as happened in the past, mm-hmm. that has a significant impact on the city. Yeah. Uh, whether or not we receive grants. And, and in fact, in the time that I've been in office, we've received tens of millions of dollars in grants, almost exclusively for infrastructure projects and public safety. All of that is is great information looking back historically, but yeah. those aren't things you can count on all the time. No. I mean, especially grant funding uh, – Depending on the duration of the grant, the type of grants, um, you know, you have the parameters of the grant that you have to meet, you know, that that's not, it's not free money. And I think right. people think, oh, you got a grant, that's free money. No, you have to have a level of documentation, you know, how you implemented the grant. The grant is only allowed to do, you're only allowed to use the money for certain, it's only allocated for certain things. So you can't just apply for a grant. If you get a grant for tens of millions of dollars, that's not for whatever you deem appropriate. Correct. So I think that, and I think that that's a misconception with grants in general, um, and they're very difficult to get. They are. They're, they're difficult. They're extremely competitive, particularly when you're looking at infrastructure and public safety, and those those are the things we we most need. But when we get the opportunities to adapt our community to visitors that we have, for instance, by implementing new bike safety measures in the mm-hmm. community. When we get a grant for those bike safety measures, that doesn't mean we can just take that money and spend it on anything that we want to. There are specific <laughs> parameters, and that's just one example of of a grant opportunity that exists. We, we've got COPS grants and SAFER grants, and, and those all have very specific purposes in the community that we have to allocate those dollars to. Right, right. So it's not just like, oh, you woke up one day and you're like, I'm going to do bike lanes. No, that was a planned agenda with that particular grant money. Correct. Um, So I think a lot of people, I put out uh, for a week questions for the mayoral candidates. Wonderful. For one week, I got some pretty interesting questions. Well, they weren't really questions. They were more like statements with a question mark at the end of it. Um, And sometimes no punctuation at all. That was fun. Um, but a lot of people have misconceptions of what a mayor does. Like, I feel like sometimes they think that you can, you know, you're a superhero and you can give them a job that's going to be a high earning job and you can fix, um, all of these problems with like, you know, a little magic dust. I don't know. I don't know what they're thinking. So what exactly what do you control exactly? What is your job parameter? Here's the big secret. Mayors don't have much power at all. <laughs> the, the reality is a lot of what we do is, is informal in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't turn off the, the, the mayor position. I mean, it, it's a 24-7, 365-day-a-week, a, a day-a-year job. You don't turn that off. But the power that you have is very limited. I don't have influence over schools or control over schools. Mm-hmm. I don't have influence or control over the judicial system. There are so many things that impact in, on a daily basis operations of the city and what we see and hear around us 
the, uh, your mayor simply doesn't have control over. Mm-hmm. In fact, the mayor has less procedural authority than members of the city council do. For instance, as mayor, I don't even have the ability to make a motion or second a motion in a public meeting to actually get something done. Um, those are something. Those are those are powers that are exclusively held by the city council members. So it's a position of informal authority. It's a position that that sets a vision, sets a tone, and oversees operations. But it's not something that that has power. Yes, the the buck stops at the mayor's desk. Mm-hmm. That's true. Uh, but I don't have the power to simply hand out edicts. Uh, there, there's no executive authority right, in the position right. of the mayor. You can't like have a really long, unfurl a long document. Unless it's Groundhog Unless Day it's Groundhog and I'm reading it now. <laughs> a declaration. You're not making <laughs> sweeping changes. But I think that that's important for people to understand. If you're frustrated with something that's going on at a city or even a county level, there are proper channels that you can express those opinions or actually do a little bit of research to try to figure out if the answer to your question has already been answered or it already exists. And I think people need to understand that that it's a figurehead position with very limited scope and that, um, you know, it's a, you're doing this for the greater good. Right. Nobody runs for elected office for power, that's for sure. Right. Uh, we, we don't run for, for power. We don't run for uh, the, the opportunity to get rich quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, city council members are paid $4,800 a year for their service, which okay. is oftentimes, it, it's part-time, but there's significant hours involved. Yeah. The mayor earns $7,200 a year. And I put in 30 to 40 hours a week. Right. But that's because I love the community. And, and I believe that most of the people who actually get into to running for office, let alone elected, do it for the right reasons. They absolutely believe they have something to offer. Right. So, I mean, uh, what made you want to run for mayor? I mean, did you just like wake up one night and go, this is it. I got to do it. I never aspired to be mayor. Yeah. Um, In fact, I I never aspired to run for office. I I was fortunate to have a family that instilled in in me from a young age a sense of community, a sense of giving back, a sense of volunteerism. It's why throughout my life I've volunteered over 25,000 hours in in my lifetime. Uh, Growing up, I remember going on many vacations that were really educational trips to Gettysburg and Antietam and, Mm -hmm. and fun things like that as a kid. But it was really instillment in me. Of the idea of of knowing your your place in the world and giving back and and, and being part of something greater than you, mm-hmm. um, it's what drove me to run for office in two thousand six. I'll, I'll never forget sitting down with another candidate at the time who encouraged me to run. I thought I, I just graduated with a political science degree, but I would have never even thought of putting my name on a sign and running for office. In fact, I, I credit my political science teachers for telling me be smart enough not to put your right, name on the right, sign. Right. I didn't follow the advice, but but here I am. Um, a couple of years after that, then I, I was recruited to run for the city council, and I said initially I, I wasn't interested in that government. Mm-hmm. Not much interesting uh, government action happens at the city council level. Uh, boy, was I wrong! Yeah. And then just two years after that, Mayor Fiedler came to me and encouraged me to run for mayor. I, I threw my hat in the ring. I never aspired to do this, uh, but he he sold me a bill of goods that it really wasn't any different from being on the city council. Well. It's That's not exactly true, but <laughs> <laughs> I still give Mayor Fiedler a lot of credit to this day for being a good mentor. That's good. So, um, why do you why do you still want to do it? I mean, this job seems pretty stressful. Um, just from the it takes a per, it has to take a personal toll and um, and also a professional toll because it's like you said a ton of hours. So, why do you continue to want to? to keep doing your it. characterization is right i mean it, it does take a lot out of you and, and it is extremely stressful uh, for me it, it, it's a continuation of that idea of giving back and, and seeing things through uh, in the first two terms in in office i've been able to put into motion everything from fiscal uh, policies uh to economic development initiatives that, that have really started to grow now in the, in the past couple of years uh, i'm hoping to see a third term through just so that i can see the fulfillment of so many of those seeds that were planted in the first two two terms actually come to fruition. Yeah. I mean, so you just want to be a caretaker to those really good ideas. I want to make sure that things get carried out. I yeah. Mean, to, to this point, we've, we've been operating under a street pavement plan, uh, for instance, the, the pavement management system that was implemented under a former administration. We've been working through that over time because, quite frankly, it's, it's expensive to, mm-hmm. to keep updating plans. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we, we introduced some new information about a robotic system. We actually have new data on hand, and we can actually start a process now of reevaluating streets and starting a whole new street pavement plan. There are many things that have taken years at this point to, to yeah. come to fruition, and I just I just want to see them uh, through to conclusion now. Yeah, 
I, I don't blame you. It's sort of like you put in the time and the effort. You want to see But it I'll tell you, three three terms will be enough. Yeah. <laughs> At the end of three terms, I, I expect that, and, and I haven't said that publicly anywhere else, but but I don't expect that after three terms that I, that I would seek to continue in this office any further. I, I, I think there, there comes a point uh, that you still need some new vision and, sure. and some new ideas. And after you've been in a position for 10, 15 years, uh, I, I think you need some other folks to, to grow into that role as well. And I would be hoping to, to see somebody from the city council who has, who has grown up through this, who understands what's happening in the city to, to eventually step into a role like mine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, anything, any political ambitions after being mayor? Or do you want to do anything on the state or federal level? Uh, you know, I've, I've run for state office before. I, I ran for the House of Delegates in 2006. Mm-hmm. Boy, was that a, an eye-opening experience. Sure. I, I, I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about the community. Um, I, I joke that I knocked on so many doors in the city of Cumberland. I walked so many streets that if this political thing doesn't work out for me, I'm perfectly suited to be a pizza delivery man awesome. because I know every street in, right. in the city. Um, you know, I, I don't have some grand plan of where I want to be politically. I have always had this aspiration of making the community better. It, it's why I built or why I bought a house here. It's why I've invested in the community personally. Yeah. It's why I give back beyond just being mayor. I, I typically donate back. Uh, through several several different events and several sponsorship opportunities, more than my mayoral salary in in, yeah. in, uh, in a year. So I don't have political aspirations beyond just giving back to the community and, and doing what I can to make it better. Yeah. And, and I hope that people smarter and, and wiser than I am step into this role and step into other roles and, and they take it, the reins. Yeah, keep going. Keep, Absolutely. Keep getting better. That's awesome. Um, so... Uh, we talked. You touched a little bit about economic development, and I know that what was the economic development of Maryland? Were they here today? Meta the the Meta conference was yeah. being held at Rocky Gap today. I actually spoke this morning at, at the Maryland Economic Development Conference, and we had economic development officials from all over the state of Maryland here. In fact, they they were downtown just last evening, nice. doing a tour of downtown and and complimenting both what we have, uh, what we're planning to do. And some some of the, the other opportunities that are our strategic plan that, that we're working on. That's awesome. Um, so, I mean, part of economic development is um, the downtown, which Absolutely. has gotten a lot of positive and negative um, responses as far as the plans that were in place. Now, um, if you do have something to say about that, there's a meeting on November the 10th. That's correct. uh, Reimagining the downtown. And it's at the Arts Council. It's on a Saturday, and it's from 1 to 4 p.m. And the Arts Council is at 9 North Center Street. So if you have an opinion about it, or you actually want to get from, you know, you want to know the facts, then go to the meeting and and be involved. Don't miss these opportunities to truly voice your opinion. Have your words on record. Yeah. Or just be a a part of something. Um, And when... When you go, I would offer that you should just remain open-minded because it is there's a possibility that there could be a perspective that you haven't even thought of, and so or there might be a couple of ideas that together is perfect. So just remain open-minded when you go to certain certain things like this. That's right, and absorb all the information that's being provided because oftentimes there there are rumors and stories and misinformation floating around the community. This is an opportunity to, to voice your opinion and get informed about what's really on the table. Yeah, straight from the horse's mouth, essentially. Correct. Um, so do that. Um, but, you know, I think that you you have to, if you want something to happen, you have to get involved. So if you don't like it and you didn't do anything about it, then who's to blame? Right. Put your hands to work and be heard. Yeah, exactly right. So um, that's a meeting you should go to if you're interested in the downtown. So I'm So the economic development... It, it's happening. We have an economic development um, corporation. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. And so, I mean, they're actively doing things around town. That's right. Several years ago, the city engaged in, in a new economic development strategic plan. The idea being that we, we were not going to pay for any more plans that were simply going to be bookends that were going to sit on a shelf. Uh, this is something that came back to us with some very new ideas. And one of those was creation of the Cumberland Eco- Economic Development Corporation, which is intended to be uh, a pairing of the public resources that the city of Cumberland was engaging in with economic development, the, the full budget essentially of the city. Mm-hmm. Those public dollars partnered with private dollars. That meant bringing the business community to the table 
them investing their dollars, them investing their time, and actually engaging in the process. And what has happened is we've created a board with, with representation from, from the public sector and the private sector. Uh, we're now proud of the fact that the county administrator is actually part of this as well, so the Economic Development Corporation is it's actually amazing. growing in its influence. Yeah. And there are several strategic sites that have been identified in it, and, and there's obvious work that's been happening, uh, whether it's the Maryland Avenue Redevelopment Project, uh, Baltimore Street Redevelopment that, that's moving forward, mm-hmm. or it's just projects like on our east side. We removed East Side School as a development opportunity site there. Uh, just adjacent to that, we have a new Hampton Inn. We have several pad sites there. There's obvious growth that's been happening in the city of Cumberland. The Economic Development Corporation uh, worked with the developer to make sure that the Footer Dye Works project kept moving forward. Mm-hmm. Now there are new living uh, opportunities there. In fact, most of those those I think uh, they've all been rented. I think they, they all but a few of them have been rented yeah. at this point, as as of this morning I heard. And there are business opportunities that are already opening there. These are all fruits of an economic development corporation that's really only been in existence for a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. A, a lot has happened in a short period of time. I mean, I think that people, like I said before, it's really easy to forget all of the little steps that make huge progress. So, I mean, I think it's good to shine a light on that. Um, and some the one project that uh, I got a lot of flack was the Rolling Mill Project. Um, it's moving forward. Uh, so I think that's good. Do you want to explain a little bit of like the monetary, how that works monetarily? Sure. I mean, and, and you're right. It, it is moving forward. It's it's moving forward at what everybody agrees is a glacial pace at this point, myself included. Mm-hmm. I wish it were happening much quicker. Yeah. Uh, but from the very beginning, we were sensitive to the fact that there were 69 individual property owners and we wanted to recognize them as citizens of Cumberland, keep them as such, and yeah. negotiate individually with them. Uh, I, I'm proud of the fact that, that we're down to just six or eight folks at this point, uh, that, that the developer continues to work with. The city of Cumberland is already engaged in the process of turning the property over to the developer. We have a, a development agreement in place, and the develop, development agreement lays out the terms under which there are several phases of development that would happen there. Um, in, in fact, the, the development agreement lays out several of the expected um, um, pro- projects that will occur on the site, from hotels to, to restaurants. Um, what happens throughout those phases is that the developer actually purchases the property from the city of Cumberland for $600,000. The city is invested in it at $3.5 million, but those were not taxpayer dollars. Those were dollars that we did not have. Mm-hmm. They were actually bond dollars, which means that we borrowed that money. Uh, what happens, uh, the developer pays $600,000, and through completion of those phases mm-hmm. of, of the project on time, actually reduces the amount that they have to pay down to the point that they could actually pay, in the end, $0 for the site. Mm-hmm. Now, to the to the average person, why would you invest in paying $3.5 million and then give something away? The stated goal of, of the Rolling Mill Development Project, the Maryland Avenue Redevelopment Project, really, has always been tax-based growth. Yeah. And the way the economics of this work is such that paying back the debt of the $3.5 million isn't just paying back $3.5 million. Whenever we increase the tax base from 20-some thousand dollars worth of tax revenues generated from that entire site per year to in excess of $100,000 more, yes, basic math tells you we're looking at 30 years to get it paid back. But that's not the reality. What happens is that we actually pay back the bond dollars from the taxpayer dollars that are generated from that site. Mm-hmm. And every year we're going to make more on the taxes than we're paying for in the form of the bond. So every year from year one on, the city residents are going to benefit because those weren't city taxpayer dollars in the first place. They right. were bond dollars that were going to pay back the proceeds from from, from the revenues generated uh, from, from the new taxes. What we see then is every year – uh, dollars coming into the city of Cumberland that get to continue to pave your streets, pay for your police officers, pay for your firefighters, pay for blight removal, all of those things that city residents have come to, to know, expect, and just appreciate about the city. Right, absolutely. So, I mean, and that, and that's just not, you shouldn't only consider that to be just to pay to pay back the bond. Because if you pay you pay the back of the bond, great, fantastic, but that tax base is still there. The tax base continues to be there, and yeah. every year from year one, so long as you continue to make, and, and we have already projected this out, we would actually be making more than we'd be paying in the bond payments. So from year one on, the citizens of Cumberland will benefit. Get, get to see the benefits. Yeah, and that's fantastic. Um, so, I mean, that's 
briefly touching on that because I'm sure that you've had a lot of debate on the Maryland Avenue redevelopment project. It's been um, it's been a long time coming, but yeah. it, it's the kind of project that we needed in Cumberland. Uh, that site is particularly critical because developers are are asking us to, to for opportunities to locate in Cumberland every single day right now. Uh, they want flat, developable land within a half a mile of the interstate and immediate interstate access. Well, that qualifies. There aren't too many places no, like that. No, And it also goes back to the infrastructure issue. We do have... Uh, we have too many houses. We have a lot of huge infrastructure, and this is a way to kind of redevelop the infrastructure in a way that suits what we need as far as tax base. Um, and also maintaining, we it's not like we don't have enough houses for relocation. We have an abundance of houses. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. Um, so with your economy, that's great, but uh, jobs also need to happen as well. I agree. Um, so what are, you, what are your thoughts about um, green initiatives as far as bringing like green jobs that are sustainable long-term to Cumberland. We need to be forward-thinking about that. And, and, and whether it's just the, the impact on, for instance, our unions of, of uh, putting people to work, installing solar panels on, on appropriate locations throughout the city, mm-hmm. or it's actually working to get the manufacturers of solar panels to, to locate here. Yeah. And, and we've, we've had some of those kinds of facilities look at Cumberland as, as a possible opportunity site. Uh, we know just looking around the, the city of Cumberland, because this is an older community, there are a lot of flat roofs around here where yes. green initiatives uh, could could truly grow. And I, I, I don't use that word uh, in any way other than intentionally. There, there are opportunities for, for solar opportunities. There are opportunities for, for actually growing roofs. Uh, you know, the new HRDC building that was built just a few years ago on Virginia Avenue has so many of those lead uh, opportunities already built into it. We could learn from some of those options and actually integrate them into some of our older facilities as well. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, um, I know walking downtown, we have these gorgeous buildings um, and the architecture is great, but they all have flat roofs. Majority of them have flat roofs and that would be uh, an incentive for somebody to, not look at a huge building and go, oh my God, the cost of heating that or cooling that, um, that could basically be offset by um, a solar panel grid on the roof. It, it always comes down to a cost-benefit analysis mm-hmm. with, without question. But solar panels and green technologies, there are a lot of grant grant opportunities out there for private individuals who want to take take advantage of them. Yeah. And the city of Cumberland has looked at it for some of our public buildings as options as well. In fact, we've engaged in some of the grants, not just for solar panels, uh, but for all other opportunities to save energy, uh, to, to replace lighting ballast and, and, and do energy conservation uh, techniques. There are grant dollars available for it. They're fairly easy if you're truly committed uh, to the process of upgrading, but it is it is in the end a cost benefit analysis for each person as well. Right, and and we also um, we are not the richest community. We do have a lot of lower income families that live here, and it would be a way of um, offering us a little bit more financial independence and freedom for those families to try to get up on their feet a little bit if they don't have to pay such high heating or electrical costs. Um, it could be something that is it benefits the entire community, all uh, socioeconomic levels. So. I think it it's important for me as a voting constituent to look forward and notice that those things are going to be sustainable. Um, and they also create sustainable jobs because the solar is not going anywhere. Wind is not going anywhere. Renewable resources are not going to go anywhere because that really is the future. So um, I think it's important to invest in those kinds of things. And the more that we realize that being green means saving green too, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it's it's so truly win-win. a no-brainer. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Good. Um, so infrastructure, that's a good infrastructure thing. So if we're updating infrastructure, why not update the infrastructure to then be cost-effective and green and all that kind of stuff? So while we're doing that, we should just be thinking like not just to the end of our noses, but pretty far into the future. So, right. um, so uh, we're going to public health and public safety. So I know that this is a big it's a big issue and everybody should be concerned about it because we rely on our fire department. If God forbid there's a fire, um, same thing with our police and EMS that, um, we would have quick response times to uh, our emergencies, uh, or th- anything of an emergent nature. And we're seeing kind of some lag times and we're seeing like volunteer fire departments and EMS services being overloaded and not able to, um, basically provide the services. Um, how, what are some ways that we can kind of help that situation? 
getting volunteers to, to engage, whether it's in an EMS or fire service or, or in any number of civic activities, is becoming more and more difficult. And when you expect more and more from people, particularly from in those positions, it, it's becoming more difficult to, to recruit them as well as retain them. Mm-hmm. Um, from a public safety perspective, really the fix for the city of Cumberland is to get more more integrated with the, the county EMS system. Um, and, and what I mean by that is uh, the city of Cumberland is, is a significant contributor to the public safety services of Allegheny County as mm-hmm. a whole. Uh, we, we frequently service the, the districts that are contiguous to the city of Cumberland already. And my hope moving forward in a third term would be to actually get the county to staff an ambulance, staff some some EMS services out of one of the city stations. That way we could continue to serve all of these contiguous districts and Allegheny County then can actually focus on the districts that are beyond the contiguous districts of the city of Cumberland. Right. That way we can continue to have a, a seamless, flawless system throughout Allegheny County that has paid staffing in place. So just like a redistribute, redistribution of of staff basically somewhat rather than yeah. simply staffing the outlying districts and, and not having a, a continuity of service in between uh, I, I can envision a system that the county provides some staffing the city of Cumberland even possibly provides some of the physical resources like the the ambulance itself and we operate out of one station uh, and, and service more contiguous districts that way we have a truly countywide system I, I think that as a community we have to do more cooperating mm-hmm. in order to move forward and, yeah. and I think that we have some great partners at, at Allegheny County to do that and particularly with, with some of the elected officials that we have there as well as our, our county administrator now who's who's very cooperative that's awesome and also it'll help with the the uh, lag time for sure absolutely yeah. absolutely when, when you rely on volunteers volunteers are great but mm-hmm. but People need to understand in, in most cases that the volunteer doesn't mean free. I mean, the, the service itself isn't free. The equipment isn't free. Right. And, and in a lot of cases, volunteers now are paid some sort of stipend or something. They're, they're oftentimes paid volunteers, which kind of defeats the whole the whole notion yeah, of being right. a volunteer. Uh, but when they're not in the station and, and they're not there to serve as a call as soon as it comes in, it means that there's going to be a delay. And, mm-hmm. and there are parts of our county right now just beyond the city limits that you could go through multiple companies worth of calls before the city of Cumberland gets dispatched out into the county and uh, to service time. somebody who's who's in dire need. Right. And th- so that it's all about communication. And I, I feel like that that makes sense. If you can have somebody that's fully staffed and ready to, to rock and roll at any given time, um, that will help with right. those things. So um, in the public safety sphere, I guess public health sphere, um, there we have a we have a intravenous drug problem or heroin problem um, in this town and a lot of communicable diseases like hepatitis C have gone up and would you support a free needle exchange program in this town? I think that we need to certainly look at more opportunities like that that are outside the box thinking. Uh, typically, we, we, we think about crime and drugs in terms of rounding up dealers. And, and it's, yeah. this is not just a crime issue. This, this is an individual problem. Yeah. And, and we need to explore more of these opportunities. I don't know enough about it to say that I would support it, not support it. But I certainly support looking further at it and, and seeing what opportunity it really provides. Because it, it sounds like there's opportunity to save individuals' lives. Absolutely. Well, and also it's an exposure thing too, because um, if you have hepatitis, it can live outside of the body. Um, so it, you can expose it to people that are perfectly healthy and not intravenous um, drug sure. users. Um, and that has shown significant impact to reduce those things. Um, so it makes it safer for people working in the healthcare field as well. Um, now, something a little bit more controversial that I that you told me earlier that a city council person brought up was um, a first safe maybe like a safe injection facility in Cumberland. And for those people who may not be familiar with that, that is basically a place where people can go um, that is a, a medically supervised facility where they would be able to use whatever their preferred drug of choice would be in a safe area where if, in fact, they would overdose, they would be um, reversed, the symptoms would be reversed, and then they would be able to get seek the medical treatment right away. Um, I know it's controversial because it's technically not legal federally, but um, Philadelphia is doing the first one in the United States, and it's been successful in other countries um, like Canada and and Switzerland. Um, and it, do you think that might be beneficial if that's something that if Philadelphia can get it through and set some legal precedent that way? Do you think that might be something that a small town like ours would benefit from? I worry less about what is legal federally on something like that. I mean, after all, we have the, the, the mixed message already of some states allowing recreational use of marijuana, and yet yeah. this, this is something that's banned federally. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I always want to focus on providing people with treatment options first, mm -hmm. but I'm certainly open to the idea of, of looking at the options for safe areas for, for people. I'm not willing to embrace the idea just yet because I, I don't have enough data to, sure. to say that it, it definitely works, um, but I'm willing to look at options like that with the caveat that we need to always focus first uh, before we get to a position like that on giving people the treatment that they need. Right. Yeah. And so, and for those of you that are, don't know anything about it, I highly suggest you do some research because it, it does have benefits long-term as far as people seeking treatment. And um, it also cuts down on emergency services being called out so frequently for people that are overdosing if they're doing it in a safe environment and it's a kind of in a controlled area. So that might be benefit as far as same along the lines of, um, Increasing EMS time calls to to come and get you it would not be as as high. Sure, yeah, sure. Well, um, there, there's no question that that we have a significant uh, drug and crime problem here, right? But people oftentimes look at the drug problem as a simple crime issue that, that the police can solve. It's much more complex. It's much more complex and, and, and it involves, a, if nothing else, a supply and demand issue. Yeah. We're not going to stop the drug issue by cutting off the supply because, quite frankly, we can't cut off the supply. We, we, we can arrest every drug dealer in the city of Cumberland today, and because there's significant demand, uh, they'll be replaced tomorrow. Sure. And, of course, that expects that our judicial system that then is, is actually going to keep those folks uh, off the streets. We need to focus on the human element as well. And, and no matter what kind of treatment or what kind of options are, are available, we need to focus on this as people, as, as humans. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we need to look at the individual people who are experiencing an addiction. Maybe it's because they started out with, with some sort of legal prescription, or maybe it was just a crime a, a issue. Either way, these are individual people with individual solutions. We all I would expect no people that, that are in positions that need help. Mm -hmm. And I think we we need to look at it that I mean, I've seen at this point uh, a local congressional candidates as, as well as local uh, candidates for for office that are broken down with the fact that they, they have personal stories of family members that they've lost uh, to, to this terrible epidemic. Until we get serious about treating this on an individual basis and recognize that the problem has to stop with the demand – I don't think I don't see an immediate end to it, and mm -hmm. and the crime that that spins off of it is is quite obvious to everybody. But we're, it's not something we can arrest our way out of. It's not something we can just hire more police officers to fix. Right. I mean, I think that that's another common misconception is if you throw more throw more police at the problem, it'll go away. And it's not it's not about that. It's about figuring out. What, and a lot of it has to do with lack of facilities or availability for treatment. Um, and I know that that's been addressed on a state level too and also a federal level um, where we don't necessarily have the space or the beds or the, the proper... There need to be more inpatient clinics. Exactly right. Um, but I think if you could do something on a base level that if we know that we have a problem with intravenous drug users and we have a way of preventing disease from spreading, which is like a really simple thing, then they... And you can say, yes, we, we understand that you might be an intravenous drug user, but please be safe about it and get a free needle, you know, exchange your needles, get a clean needle. Um, it's not that you're encouraging that behavior, but you are making it safer for the community at large so that you're not then just ignoring the problem. Um, you're kind of just saying like, yeah, we know it's, we're acknowledging it or we're making sure that it's the public health is public safety and health is at the forefront. And, you know, how we can, this is just another way, another angle to combat the problem. So I think people should be, remain open-minded about it for sure. It's certainly not a black and white issue. No, no, God, no. Um, so that being said, um, there, we can say that the mayor and city council and the county commissioners are 100% male in this town that is fair yep okay so um one of the questions that i got was uh how can we incorporate more women in city and county government positions like what how what, how do you feel like we could maybe move that forward or what's a good idea to get more one of the best involved? ways to, to do that is, is actually in another position that i hold is that i've, I've been elected to the democratic central committee and, and i would call on my my fellow central committee members at the democratic level as well as the republican central committee mm -hmm. to do more training for for individuals who want to run for office or who just have an interest in the community and want to explore the opportunity of running for office we need to make sure that that our elected officials represent uh, the interest of our community and, and 
at the most basic level, if they look more like the community, you can expect that they're they're going to have more of the same interests as the community. Uh, there are a lot of females that, that have an interest in leadership, but for whatever reason, if nothing else, just because historically that's not been a place that that, that females have been, they don't step into the into the fray. We need to give them the opportunity to be trained and actually have the resources and the toolbox available so that if they have the ideas, they have the commitment to the community, they certainly have all the tools to step into the ring. Awesome. Um, hopefully that happens. <laughs> um, so uh, your constituents of Cumberland, like you said, are very diverse and there's all different kinds of us here. Um, what in your ideal in your ideal world, what would you like your constituents to do or be what would you like them to be active in as as mayor like what would be your ideal constituent activity level well i think of this question kind of in terms of, of what high school students ask me at the at the conclusion of almost any presentation that i make in, in a high school classroom about what the role of mayor is and oftentimes kids ask me what can i do mm-hmm. and my response is quite simple i don't expect you to change the world i don't even expect you to change the whole city but I throw that back in the form of a question to them. Are there things that you can step out onto your own front porch and see that need to be fixed? And are there some of those things that you can actually fix yourself, whether it's just cutting your neighbor's grass for them, whether it's just pulling weeds, whether it's just helping do something in your own community, in your own neighborhood, within the own, your sphere of your own front porch mm-hmm. that would make your neighborhood better? And I think that if everybody would take that vision – and would take uh, would tackle some problems that they know they can handle within their own sphere of the, of their own property. Uh, we together would change the city in, in no time at all if if we all just cared for what we could see from our own front porches. No, if people are current, there's people that do that now. What if they want to be more involved? Like, is there a way that they can volunteer for certain committees at, at the city level or the county level? Are there uh, ways that they can do that? There, there are community-wide events, for instance, that the, that the County United Way does, like the Day of Caring and Sharing, mm-hmm. that are, that are a once-a-year cleanup effort and engagement and, and uh, interaction with with a lot of the services that are in the community and a lot of the partner organizations. But there are ongoing efforts like Let's Beautify Cumberland. Yeah. Um, everybody in the community knows Ed Mullaney. I mean, the, <laughs> yes. the, the, the man is known better than, than uh, I think, just about anybody else here. Uh, Ed, to this day, helps work with Let's Beautify Cumberland. He, he, uh, he helps lead that. And... Let's Beautify Cumberland is constantly involved in projects that, that typically people don't even realize they did. And what it is, it, it's a core group of volunteers who care about the community, who go out. Yes, they plant flowers. Yes, they do cleanups. But they do regular maintenance of, of areas of the community as well. Mm-hmm. And anybody who wants to be involved can tackle specific projects, whether there's something that, that's already happening now that they, that they want to do a little differently or it's something that they want to add uh, to, to the community interest. Uh, there are always volunteer opportunities, and Let's Beautify Cumberland is one of those umbrellas uh, for people to, to get involved. That's awesome. So, I mean, I think if you feel, if you're feeling like disconnected from a community, the best way to kind of really get the pulse and the sense of what's going on is to just be social and be active and try to figure out where you fit in, like what, where you can be most helpful. And sometimes you might start, maybe you go to Let's Beautify Cumberland and you do that and you feel like that's not just quite the right fit. You can find other partner organizations that you might be able to figure out where you can be most helpful. Right. Those are avenues to, to get you connected. And ultimately, if a person enters a, uh, an organization or a meeting like that with a general idea that they want to do the best good that they can do, mm-hmm. there are opportunities for everybody to be involved. That's great. So um, where do you see yourself in five years? That's difficult because if I looked back five years, I, I would not have necessarily seen myself in, in this role on, a, on an ongoing basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, but five years from now, I, I hope to still be involved with the community. Like I said earlier, I, I purchased a house just in the past year in the city of Cumberland. Congratulations, by the Thank way. Thank you. It, it, it's great. I love the neighborhood. I'm on Louisiana Avenue, as I think everybody uh, has already known from the front page <laughs> of the newspaper at, at this point. Um, it's a great neighborhood. It's one close to where I grew up. Uh, I grew up in Mapleside. I'm, I'm now just a, just a, a couple of blocks away, and I'm committed to, to being part of this community moving forward. Um, I want to continue to do all that I can. I, I haven't uh, given 25,000 volunteer hours in, in my lifetime for no reason. I, I expect to continue to be involved, and what hat I'll be wearing five years from now, that's, that's difficult to say, sure. but I, I want to still be involved. Awesome. Um, so... This is kind of a fun fantasy question, I guess. So if what would be your dream for the future of Cumberland? Like if you could look back and really envision what it might be in 20 years, like what do you see Cumberland doing or being? 
you know, I, I could look at look at the city and say I, I want to give it a facelift. I, I want to see economic prosperity. I want to see jobs. I want to see all those things. Uh, but probably what I want is, is something that's bigger and, 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 and sounds simpler but is really bigger. And that is a, a change in the way that we perceive ourselves. Uh, oftentimes this community looks at itself and, and sees negative things. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we describe our own community in, in, in negative terms. I would like to see us turn around our own vision of what Cumberland is and start to promote it as something that we that we truly love and we want to be part of. Um, I would like for us to, to look at Cumberland through the lens of the people who visit us and keep coming back and love it through the through the lens of the people who have discovered Cumberland and have moved here because they see all the opportunity, all, all the great things that, that exist here. I spent just a couple of, of days ago, 45 minutes, sitting on the, the couch of a, of a, a a couple that has moved to, to Cumberland from over 1,500 miles from here. They moved here. They've discovered Cumberland. They've decided they want to stay here. This is where they will spend the rest of their life. They love it here. And they have traveled throughout the country. They've lived many different places. And when they found Cumberland, they knew this was going to be home. Uh, if we could see our own city through that kind of lens, that's the big thing that I would like the forest to, to change. That's amazing. I think it's a perfect place to end this. Um, Thank you so much for coming. I really do appreciate it. And, and uh, come back anytime you'd like. I appreciate this opportunity, and I'll certainly be interested in, in future ones. Awesome. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. For more information on what you heard on today's show, be sure to head over to our website, and that's recordtalklisten.com. We'll have direct links available for you there. We love to hear from you, the listener. So if that's something that you're interested in, we have a Facebook group called The People Who Listen, and we highly suggest that you join for a little insider information and also uh, to get to know some other listeners in the area. We are active on our social media. We're on Twitter at RTL Pod, and we're on Facebook at Record Talk Listen. And an old-fashioned email always gets through at recordtalklisten at gmail.com. Get in contact with us if you yourself would like to be on the show or you know of someone who would be fantastic to interview and have a lovely conversation. So send them our way. And for the last time, uh, make sure you go vote on November the 6th. I'm sure you're sick of hearing it all over the place, but it's super important. Uh, So just, you know, just do it. It, it. It doesn't hurt. It's uh, spectacular, and you get a sticker. So, I mean, there you go. And you can uh, post it on your social media accounts, and everybody will will like it and all that good stuff, and it'll make you feel good. So do your civic duty and get out to the polls. This has been another episode of Record Talk Listen, where I hit record, people talk, and hopefully you listen. Until next time, thank you so much. <laughs>